And I think it's the first Sunday in about four weeks or so since we've had no rain and uh, like sunny skies. And so that's been amazing. But, um, you know, for us, as a, for me as a pastor, amongst other pastors, we always talk about how much we like loathe the rain. I mean, we know that rain's important, like washes out the, you know, streets and everything like that gives, you know, life to our earth. But um, on Sundays when it rains in Southern California, we are generally like allergic to the rain. And so church attendance goes down by like 30%. But uh, I, I just want to like really just, you know, lift you guys up. Uh, you guys still came out. The weather was terrible, uh, but we just saw, you know, uh, our Sunday services not miss a beat, and that was just so encouraging, such a blessing uh, to our church, to our leaders to see you guys, uh, yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't be stopped from worshiping God uh, by the rain, and so that was just really, really encouraging, and so I just want to thank you guys, and it just really just shows uh, your heart uh, for God and uh, for worship uh, on the Lord's Day. Well, we've been going through a a wonderful series uh, here at All Nations titled Encountering Jesus. Uh, Now, two weeks ago, I preached on Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. But instead of focusing on Lazarus and that that miraculous uh, event, as is usually the case, we looked at Jesus' encounter with Mary and Martha, Lazarus' two sisters. Well, in our passage today, we're in the very next chapter. So that was John chapter 11. We're here in John chapter 12, and we have these three characters again. Uh, We're going to see Lazarus in the story. We're going to see Mary and Martha. And uh, there's an added character, and his name is Judas Iscariot. I know he's the, like, second, like, kind of most vile name in the Bible next to, like, Satan. It's like Satan and then Judas, right? Um, And then uh, Jezebel and, anyways... um, I could go on for a long time. And then eventually you'll get Michael Lee, who's not in the Bible, but I'm just like right there. Um, And just to give you a little context on our passage. So after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, I mean, news is just going all throughout Israel. People are are amazed. They're shocked. uh, And the news has actually reached the Pharisees about this miracle. And rather than being filled with joy, and awe and wonder about this man who claims to be the son of God who can raise the dead out of fear and out of their desire to preserve their power, the Jewish leaders then plotted to kill Jesus. The high priest at that time, he said this, he said, better that one man die than a whole nation perish, okay? And so they all plotted to kill Jesus. Now, knowing this, Jesus and his disciples, they went away. They left the city of Bethany, uh, the town of Bethany, and they went to a small town called Ephraim, Ephraim, and they could no longer walk openly among the Jews. And that's what happened in the end of John chapter 11. And then in John chapter 12, we have Jesus re-entering Bethany as they're preparing for Passover. And so if you have your Bibles, would you turn to John chapter 12? We're going to read from verses 1 to 8. John 12, verses 1 to 8. I'll give you a second to turn there. And if you don't have your Bibles, it's going to go up on the screen as well. May God bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary with him, sorry, Uh, the pages in the Bible are are too thin. I'm just going to go to the manuscript. Um, Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus 
and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Amen, the word of the Lord. This is a well-known passage, and it's actually repeated in the Gospels. You can find parallel stories in Matthew and Mark. Luke has a very similar story. Some people think it's the same story, but it's actually not. In, in, In Luke's Gospel, it takes place earlier, and it's not Mary of Bethany who anoints Jesus. It's Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene. And so it's important for us not to get confused between Mary of Bethany and Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was known as a, a woman of the city, a woman of the night. And uh, church historians and commentators, they say she was actually a prostitute. Okay? And uh, there's a lot of Marys through the Gospels, right? Uh, and so there's Mary, mother of Jesus, definitely not Mary Magdalene. And then there's Mary Magdalene, and then there's Mary of Bethany, Mary of Bethany. And so in John chapter 11 and 12, uh, we are hearing and receiving the story of Mary of Bethany anointing Jesus Christ. Now, before we get into unpacking the details of this passage, I want to set up the message with what I believe is the driving question of this text. I think when we study the Bible, we want to not just kind of like read what it's saying and get some main ideas. We want to ask, like, what, what, what's the driving issue? What's the central question of this text? And, and I believe from my studies is this. It's, it's how do we respond once we've experienced Jesus? Okay? How do we respond once we've experienced Jesus? Once you've heard his word, once you've seen his beauty, once you've experienced his grace, how do you then respond to him? him in all of his glory, him in his majesty, him in his love. I'll always remember the first time I first experienced uh, In-N-Out Burger. I was from Atlanta, and so I was a college student getting ready to go to USC, and I had visited, and somebody was like, yeah, fight on. And somebody's like, hey, you got to go to In-N-Out, and you got to get your burger animal style. I was like, I don't know what it is. He's like, that's the way to get it, right? And so I make my way over to the LAX In-N-Out. That's the one that all the tourists go to. Um, And so I go there, and I order. I'm like, double, double, monster style, monster style. (laughs) And the waitress is like, you mean animal style? And I was like, yeah, yeah. First time flop, but, but it was amazing. It was amazing. So I'm I'm flying back to Atlanta, and I'm just, I just can't wait to eat in and out again. I'm like, that is going to be my first meal when I get off the plane. I'm going to the LAX Century Boulevard in and out. That was my response. That was my response to that in and out experience. I went to Shake Shack in New York a couple years ago. I didn't feel the same way. And so if you're a Shake Shack fan, I'll pray for you after service. Um, The first time I met my wife, Alice, I was a college pastor. She was a college student. And my, decision, my, I, my experience, I was like, man, she's godly. She's really mature. And I was like, I got to get her to stay at our church, <laughs> to stay at our church. I, I, I was definitely all about the boundaries. It was a no-fly zone. But I was like, man, we, she would be a great addition to our college ministry. But that was my response. That was my kind of experience uh, with her. And over the years, as I've come to like, evaluate, how do I respond to things? Right? What are the things that I like? What are the things that I dislike? And I realized that I'm very much into assessing worth. I'm into assessing worth. 
And so when I'll eat a meal for the very first time, I'll ask, is this meal worth coming back for? That's the litmus test for me uh, after I go to a restaurant. Think about how many restaurants you try and you never go back. It means it's not that great, right? Regardless of the Yelp review. But the great meals that I have, I like, can't wait to go back. It's worth it. Even if it's, even if it's in West LA, Orange County, Valencia. I'm, I'm sorry, you guys live in Valencia. It's not that far. Um, anyways, dad brain. Uh, that wasn't in the manuscript. Um, I'll, I'll play a golf course for the very first time. And I'll ask, is it worth the drive? Is it worth the amount of money that I'm paying for? For us as a church staff, we're hosting many events and, and we're asking, is this worth our time and our energy? Right? Are we gonna invest and pour into this event or, or are we just being busy for the sake of being busy to fill the calendar? Uh, so all the time, over and over again, I'm assessing worth. Well, in our passage today, I wanna highlight two encounters with Jesus that are actually responses to him and his worth. First, we're going to look at Mary. Mary, who experiences Jesus Christ, and she makes an extravagant gesture of love towards Jesus. She anoints him with pure nard, and I'm going to tell you more about what that is. But she believes Jesus is worth it. To be at Jesus' feet is worth it. However expensive, however rare, or whatever kind of treasure this might be to me and my family, Jesus is worth it. Secondly, we're going to look at Judas, who questions the actions of Mary entirely. He's critical of her, and he has a different way of assessing the worth of Christ there. And finally, we're going to see Jesus' response to it all. What does Jesus say? What does he say about this extravagant offering, this costly demonstration of love given to him? What does he say to Judas, who counters Mary's offering? It's the week before Passover. Jesus has returned to Bethany. His friends and followers have thrown him a dinner, uh, dinner gathering. It's kind of a dinner party to commemorate Jesus raising Lazarus from the grave. I mean, imagine if a great friend or a family member comes back into town. You're going to go out to dinner. You're going to go out or you'll, you'll host them, right? If you're, yeah, you'll host them. You'll have a great meal at your home. And that's what was going on. Uh, Matthew and Mark tells us that they were gathering at the house of Simon the leper. At this time, it's Simon the former leper because Jesus healed him from his, miraculous, uh, from his leprosy. Another man who experienced the power and grace of Jesus. Everyone else is there. The disciples are there, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Martha is serving. That's her classic MO, right? She's serving. She's, she's helping uh, Simon host. Jesus is reclining at the table with the other disciples. Now, when we think of uh, reclining in our culture, we think head back, feet forward, right? That's reclining. But in the Jewish culture, they flipped it. They flipped it. They're eating culture and don't judge them. It's what they did. Everyone's a little bit different. But for the Jewish dining kind of events, the table was low, right? The table was low to the ground and everyone would kind of lie down and be head in, feet out. Like, I think that would be bad for your digestion and really uncomfortable after a while, but that's what they were doing. Uh, don't judge their culture. But that was the posture of Jesus and the disciples. Head in, low table, feet out. And as they were laying down at the table, Mary comes in. After they've probably finished their meal, Mary enters with this expensive perfume-like ointment called nard. And she pours it on Jesus' feet, anointing him with it. And as the nard is flowing down his ankles 
and his feet and his toes and going to the ground, she, she takes her hair and she wipes his feet with her hair. Now, we aren't familiar with nard, but it's an ointment uh, from the nard plant originated in India. Extremely expensive. Extremely expensive. I mean, right when Judah sees it, he knows the street value, right? It's worth 300 denarii. 300 denarii, uh, denarii is a day's wages, right? And so that's a year's salary. He knows that immediately. What Mary has just done is poured one year's salary onto the ground, onto the feet of Jesus. I mean, sisters, think about mixing some Chanel number five, or for the younger ones, Joe Malone, with some Aquaphor, and then multiply its worth, right? Multiply its worth by 300. Multiply its worth by 300. That's what Mary was doing. That's what Mary was doing. It wasn't something you just bought at the store and used commonly. It was used to anoint and bury your loved ones. It was seriously something you experience once in a lifetime, and that's after you died, right? That's what your family members, that's what your loved ones would do for you. As they send you off, they would anoint your body with nard. It was truly a treasured possession. And the odds are Mary didn't have a bunch of jars of nard laying around. This was the one that she had. On top of that, she used it all on Jesus. She took the entire pound and poured it on Jesus' feet. And she doesn't just pour it onto Jesus' feet and walk away. What she does next, it's unthinkable. Okay? It's uncomfortable. It's borderline inappropriate. You can actually sense it from the disciples' reaction. You see, in, in our gospel story in John, well, we hear that Judas was critical of Mary. Okay? But actually in Mark and Matthew, it says all the disciples were critical of Mary. They're like, what is going on? First of all, Mary, you shouldn't undo your hair and like let it flow like that. And then go to Jesus, like, like, hey, Jesus is the son of God. Don't be touching him like that with your hair. It was just so inappropriate. And, I, and, and she gets down on her knees and she wipes his feet, dirty feet with her hair. In the Jewish culture, a woman's hair was symbolic of her glory, right? A woman's hair was symbolic of her glory. And so what she was doing, she was lavishing Jesus' feet with her glory. She was lavishing Jesus' feet with, with her beauty. And she was allowing that to, to touch the dirt, to touch the earth, to touch the filthiest part of a man's body. Church, Mary gave her best. Mary gave her all. She took this posture of a servant and offered him her glory. It was a costly love towards Christ. Now we have to ask why. Mary, why would you do this? Why would you blow one year's salary on this one moment? Why would you let your beautiful long hair touch Jesus' feet? The reason is this. Because in her previous encounter with Christ, she experienced his love and his power. She saw his worth. As Mary fell to Jesus' feet, weeping in grief, Jesus met her there, and he wept with her. And as Mary felt the pain of sting, uh, pain and sting of death, Jesus proved to her that he was the resurrection and the life by raising her brother Lazarus from the dead. She gave her best. She gave her all because Jesus was worth it. Brothers and sisters, may I ask you a question? Have you ever given Jesus your best? 
have you? Many of us have given Jesus something. We've given him our, our worship, our singing. I mean, even today, what, what, was it your best? Was it all that you had or was it just kind of a cries? Corner, I don't want to sing this again. I'm going to sit this one out. We've offered him our worship. Was it your best? We've offered some of our time. We've given some of our money as long as we've had enough to spare at the end of the month. Simple question though, but kind of devastating. I mean, I was wrestling with this as well. I'm not here to just fire rebukes at you. I was struggling with this as well. Have we given him our best? Have we offered him not something of just kind of like overflow and abundance? Have you given him something you've treasured? Something precious to you? costly for you. I had friends, uh, my best friend actually in college, uh, he had a motorcycle, he had a dirt bike. Um, he loved it. He would, rant, he would race around the campus and, and ride around uh, the town and stuff like that. Um, and uh, he was part of this campus ministry uh, where every summer we would send uh, students out to many different countries to go on summer missions. And that summer he actually wasn't going. He actually wasn't going. He, he had gone multiple times, but he didn't go that year. Uh, but he sold his motorcycle. And I asked, why? You love your motorcycle. He's like, I, I'm selling it to support my friends to go on missions. He gave his best. My sister-in-law's church down in Orange County, uh, when they were doing a building project, um, they were raising funds uh, to, to buy a, a campus, to, to have a, a home for, for worship. And one of the, the women, uh, she sold her engagement ring not the wedding ring, not just the band, the engagement ring with the rock, and gave it to the church. Gave it to the church. She gave her best. My wife could do that, but she's not getting another one. I'd be like, what? All right, then you just wear the band forever. <laughs> I had a, a, a couple at our former church. Um, uh, they got married and uh, they got married in the summer, and they had a big heart for, for missions in God's kingdom. And it just so happened that uh, right after uh, their wedding, our church was sending a team to missions. And you know what they decided? We're going to honeymoon on missions. We're going to honeymoon on missions. And this mission trip wasn't in like Thailand or Brazil, right? Uh, it was in Jackson, Mississippi. <laughs> Mississippi, right? That's not even like the best southern town. That's Atlanta, right? Or Nashville. Or, uh, Jackson, sorry, if you're from Mississippi. I'm saying all sorts of crazy stuff today. Um, but they spent their honeymoon, right? They spent their honeymoon on missions. They gave their best, their first fruit. They, want to start it, they wanted to start off their marriage on missions for God and for his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, what would it look like for you to give God your best? For you to respond to his costly and sacrificial love with a costly and sacrificial love of your own. Keyword: respond. We love because he loved first. We don't give, we don't serve, we don't sacrifice in order to gain the love, to gain the acceptance, to gain the blessing. No, he has already blessed us fully in Christ. He has accepted us fully by his grace and our response is love and devotion 
and sacrifice. Believing in the gospel, brothers and sisters, it's not merely receiving God's love. It's responding to it. How have you responded to the love of Jesus in your life? I love that hymn, The Wonderful Cross, The Wonderful Cross by Isaac Watts. And I love the ending of that song, the final words. They, they bless me and they haunt me at the same time. This is love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. British evangelist G. Campbell Morgan when he was reflecting on Mary of Bethany, long ago, he said this. He said, I would rather be a successor of Mary of Bethany than to the whole crowd of the apostles, right? If he could be a follower, if he could imitate any of them, he would love to imitate. He would long to imitate Mary of Bethany because she loved Jesus with such a costly love, with such a beautiful, with such a holy, with such a sacrificial love. Let's look now to Judas. Whereas Mary responded to Jesus with her best, with a costly love, we see in our passage that Jesus, uh, Judas responds with a calculated greed, with a calculated greed. When Judas sees what Mary has jo done, John tells us that Judas responded with a great criticism. Rather than rebuke Mary directly, he kind of tries to rat Mary out to Jesus. And he confronts Jesus and he asks, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And given to the poor. At first, it seems that G Judas has a real heart for justice. It seems that Judas has a real heart for the disenfranchised, for the needy. He seems very compassionate, and he's thinking economically. But all of this, as we continue to read the passage, it's a guise. It's a guise, it's a fake, it's a farce for his true heart. John tells us in verse 6, he said this, Judas, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. John, the author of this gospel, right? He was one of the disciples. He was there at that dinner. He spent years with Jesus and years with Judas. And he's writing so that we would know what kind of person Judas really was. Not this person who's like, oh, we should sell everything and give it to the poor. No, he's thinking out of calculated greed. Now, when I read this passage and this verse, I had forgotten about Judas, this part about Judas. I remembered that he was the money keeper, right? He was the kind of the treasurer of the disciples. We all know that, right? Um, but I forgot that, that he was dipping into the money purse. He was dipping into Jesus's and the disciples' financial means for his own sake. I was shocked. I was shocked. But this is the kind of man Judas was. He would steal from Jesus. He would steal from his brothers to line his own pockets. And this tells us so much about why he would be upset at Mary and the costly sacrifice because this would have been the biggest payday they'd ever seen, right? I mean, forget like 10% or little tithes and thank offerings from people. Oh, thank you for, for healing uh, my, my, my son. Uh, thank you for curing me from leprosy. Here's a little offering and, and a thing. This, this woman was, was gonna give Jesus one year's salary. One year's salary. That would have been a, an amazing payday for Judas. He would have loved to line his pockets with that kind of, cash. And when he sees what Mary of Bethany offers to Jesus, and as he sees money 
30,000 plus just being poured onto the ground. That triggers, that triggers his heart. That triggers his greed. The Bible tells us out of the heart, the mouth speaks, okay? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And here, Judas loved money more than Jesus. He loved money more than Jesus. Money had become his driving motive to follow Jesus. We see, as we reflect upon Judas' life, it was for personal gain. He was following Jesus for personal gain, to get rich, to, uh, to, to acquire more. And, when the, and the moment he lost out on this huge opportunity, Judas lost it. Judas lost it. Commentators think that this was the moment when Judas snapped, when he said, I am done with Jesus. This was the moment. This was the trigger. When Judas realized that Jesus wasn't going to be the fast track for his financial gain, Judas then resolved in his heart to betray Jesus. He was done with it. Only days later, only days later, Judas would go to the Jewish leaders and ask for money. He says, I will sell Jesus, Jesus out. How much will you offer? And they said, 30 pieces of silver. Judas took it and he sold his savior, or not his savior, his master out. 30 pieces of silver, that's the price of a slave. For the price of a slave, he sold Jesus out. Brothers and sisters, think about that. I mean, just think about how much experience Judas had with Jesus. He traveled with him and ministered with him for years. He heard Jesus preach the gospel for you. He was there, the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever told on the earth. He was there, eyewitness, receiving and hearing that. He saw the miracles. He saw the sinlessness and the holy, perfect life of Jesus. But Judas's response to the power and person of Jesus was, I want to use Jesus for my personal gain. His response was greed. Brothers and sisters, unfortunately, we are not so unlike Jesus. There are many in the church today. There are many so-called pastors preaching a prosperity gospel, inviting people to believe in Jesus, to have faith in Jesus so that they might live their best life now, so that you can acquire everything you want relationally, financially, professionally, physically. Jesus will give that to you if you just believe and give. They love to quote, oh, oh yeah, yeah, if you give, God will give back five, 10, 100 fold. But you gotta give first. Um, at another church, I... Uh, I, I actually, you know, firsthand witness uh, a really shocking story. There was this father whose son uh, was a pastor. Father whose son was a pastor, and they're all attending this large church together. And a position had opened up in the church, okay? And his son at that time wasn't working. And he wanted his son to join the staff at the church. And so this is what he did. He made an offering, $30,000, he offered $30,000 as an offering to the church. He wanted the pastors, he wanted the leaders to all know he was giving this amount, hoping, expecting that his son would get the job. His son didn't get the job. They left the church. He asked for his money back. All right, end of story. I'm not gonna fill in the rest of the blanks. What was his motive? Why was he giving? What was driving that kind of offering? And it wasn't, a gracious, free response to the love of Christ. It was, it was a means to an end. 
It was a means to an end. Brothers and sisters, don't use Jesus. Love Jesus. Don't use him as a means to your personal gain. Don't use him as a way to live your best life now or find your spouse or fill your bank account or boost your self-esteem. The call today is to love Jesus for who he is. Love Jesus for what he has done. Worship him because he is worthy. Sacrifice richly for him because he has first sacrificed everything for you. Brothers and sisters, do you see the difference between Mary and Judas? They both have experienced the same Jesus, but their responses are completely different. Jesus then speaks up at the end of this passage. After Judas uh, kind of criticizes Mary and, and approaches him, Jesus in verses seven and eight, he closes off this kind of discussion and he says, she, uh, leave her alone. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus defends Mary, says leave her alone. Now it's unclear whether Mary fully understood what she was doing. You see, uh, earlier in Jesus' ministry in Luke chapter 7, uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene out of just devotion and love, she is the first one to take the alabaster jar of nard and, 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 and pour it out on Jesus' feet. And with her own tears and with her hair, she wipes and washes Jesus' feet. Amazing story. Surely Mary of Bethany has heard that. Surely she had uh, caught wind of that and she wanted to do the same. Uh, most commentators say that that was her motive, just really love on and make a costly offering towards Jesus. Just in case people don't understand what's really going on, Jesus explains the full meaning. It wasn't just a gift of love. It wasn't just a foot washing with expensive ointment. Jesus tells her, Jesus tells the disciples that she has anointed him for his burial. You see, it's six days before Passover. We know Passover is the day before he is betrayed and he goes to his trial. He goes to the cross. He goes to the tomb. Just one week will pass. Jesus is about to make the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of the world. Jesus is about to drink the full cup of wrath from God the Holy Father, and he knows that he will depart from them soon. And so he tells Judas, you will always have the poor to serve and care for. Jesus, when he says that, he's not diminishing the call to care for others. He's not diminishing our call to be generous and compassionate to others. He's not trying to conflict, uh, create a, a conflict between worshiping Jesus and serving the poor. That should never be the case, guys. That should never be the case. That's not what Jesus is setting up. Instead, in this moment, Jesus is reminding his disciples of the importance of worshiping him, of being devoted to him, of, of being at his feet, of, experience, of experiencing union and intimacy with him. That's the driving issue here. Brothers and sisters, do you have this sense of urgency to love and serve Jesus. He says, you'll always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Now, uh, for us, I found that um, I myself, I'm a huge procrastinator. 
I, I just procrastinate all the time. I think I have all the time in the world. And then the clock runs. I'm like, okay, I do not have time, right? Uh, but I, I really love to delay things. I tend to be very laid back and nonchalant. My friends in school were like, oh, Mike, man, you're, you're, you're never stressed about school, right? And I wanted to say that's the peace of God in my heart, right? But it's just because I was just, I didn't care enough, right? I didn't care enough, right? Uh, but, but I worry, I worry that in our Christian life, because Jesus has promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. Because Jesus promised that he is the resurrection and the life and we have that eternally. And that God is a God who will forgive us over and over and over again that we have become so complacent, so passive, and so latent when it comes to sacrificing for Jesus. When it comes to serving him and worshiping him, I believe that our generation, we have lost a sense of urgency for the present. You see, Jesus' point, because he knows, you know, he's going to depart, go to the tomb. He's going to rise again. He's going to come back and be with them for 40 days and ascend, and he's going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to spiritually be with his people forever and ever. So why would he say, you will not always have me? His point is this, you will not always have me in this moment. He's calling his disciples, he's calling his followers to worship him, to follow him, to sacrifice for him in the moment, not just with intention, not just as a platitude, but in the moment. Brothers and sisters, do you have that? Jesus was aimed to, he was trying to create in us an urgency to love him now. Not later when, you're, when, you're, when your kids are grown up and you get more sleep and, and things are all good, or not later once you've graduated school or, or work has calmed down or, or when, you're, when you're not in so much financial stress or, or, or when you get healthier, not to postpone your love and devotion to Jesus. He says, now, now, would you love him? Would you serve him? Now, would you respond to him? Brothers and sisters, what would it look like for you to love Jesus back with a costly, sacrificial, beautiful love? What would it look like for you today, this week, to give Jesus your best? Not just give Jesus an excuse. Man, we're so good at that. But to give Jesus your best, that you would study for him, that you would care for your family, you would love your children, you'd love your spouse for him that you would respond to God and his word and worship with your best, that you would serve the poor, you'd love and serve one another in this community with your best, with your utmost. Let's love God, let's love others because Christ has first loved us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for sending Jesus Christ for us to live the perfect life that we have all failed to live, to die a death on the cross that each and every one of us deserve. And we thank you that by your power and your authority, Jesus was risen from the grave. We thank you for the victory of the resurrection and the power of the cross. Lord, help us to believe again that you truly do love us even in the midst of difficult, stressful, and dark circumstances, 
may you make us a people who know, who believe, who trust in the truth that you have loved us to the uttermost. And God, as you fill our hearts and souls with that love, that love that is so demanding, may we give you our soul, our lives, our all.